0: Welcome back to Mundaria Legends, I am Michael Stone, your host. Just so you know, I am well on my way to completing my first draft of the book I've been telling you all about. I am about to hit 90,000 words. So, if you want to keep up with the latest news on that front, be sure to use the links in the description to follow me on social media. Today, however, we do have a very action-packed episode, so we're going to get right to it. Without further ado, here is Season 2, Episode 8. Disaster. Loella was there again, just as it had appeared so long ago. The underwater manor, alight with the purple glow of the bioluminescent algae of the thermal vents nearby, stood as a not so modest monument to the excitement and extravagance that Loella and her mother had been excluded from all their lives. The many gaudy parapets and buttresses, gave the other senators home, the airs of a regal ancestry with nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of. But, as was the case every other night Loella had this dream, she saw that same flashy grin turn to a pitying frown. You must understand, it was very fun tonight, but what you were suggesting just wouldn't be good for either of us. And why not? Loella protested. "'her anger boiling over. "'This was not going her way at all, "'not at all the way she had wished. "'I tell you, I have an in with all them. "'You have the support of the guilds, "'and as you said, what we have is fun. "'Much more than just fun, I hope,' she added coyly. "'The merman in front of her gave a purring sound "'with his deep voice that drew Loella's eyes "'to his slim, muscular torso.' "'You may be right about that, Luella, but, to be polite, "'you aren't the first woman who has provided me with this kind of distraction. "'And you won't be the last. "'And while you keep talking about this inn that you have with King Orlam, "'I have yet to see any indication of it,' Luella huffed. "'As I have told you, I can't talk about it that much. "'But I am convinced that with the right kind of persuasion— I can get all them to see that the merman he has in mind for his successor just won't make the cut. With the right kind of support from me, you won't need to worry about whose support you have from the Senate. So you keep saying, the Greenscale sighed, shaking his head, and yet you still haven't shown me any deliverables. Loella. Loella, I hope you can hear me, a deep voice called out. Loella looked away from the merman towards a Cthulhu who was completely out of place. He wasn't supposed to be here. Interfering like this in your sleep should wake you soon. When you do wake up, try not to make it sound. I am casting an illusion to make it seem that you are one of the dead human soldiers. I have another illusion of you in a jail cell to make sure you are not missed. Just do not make a single noise, and the dwarves should toss you overboard. Loella's head began to spin. Dwarves? Was she on the ship? Wait! She spun back to the merman she had been talking with. This nightmare! No, not again! And with the Cthulhu here, could he see this? Would he know now, too? Do not make a noise! This will only work if you're completely still and play the part. Hope to see you soon, the Cthulhu ended. And before Loella could ask any questions, she awoke. She was indeed in one of the prison cells of the ship. She was not back at the manor, at home in Maeli. She shuddered, still somewhat disoriented by the nightmare, trying to reassure herself it was over. She didn't feel that way for the other merman anymore. She wasn't that Luella anymore. She was not, and she never would be that Loella again scratching, clawing her way up the ladder of the senate. No. She had learned. There were better causes, better purposes in life to fight for. Shaking her head of the images of that manor and the mermen, she looked around. She was in one of the six cells below deck on the Penelope, lying on the rough wooden floor of the ship. It was night, and the moonlight from the windows cast a pale outline on the soldiers who were sleeping in the other cells. Even Vool, the crazed man that Luella had seen here before, was in his same cell, snorting like a hog in his sleep, muttering incoherently, with the occasional outburst of, Bow down! And lying right next to her was... Her. She was looking at herself. Then, with a flash, she remembered. The Cthulhu. Right. An illusion. Luella didn't know what was more strange, seeing herself lying down on the floor unconscious, or the fact that she was relieved that she was seeing illusions again. You'll see for yourself. Another dead one, all right. Right this way. A voice called from just a short distance away. Oh, of course. She was lucky no one was around when she came to. She resumed her reclined position on the floor, trying her best to remain still. Looking at her hands, she saw that she indeed was disguised as a human soldier, and amazingly enough, she smelt like one too. She was having to consciously work at not gagging at the stench, and hoped that the dwarves would be quick about their business so Sir Clipsos would not have to maintain the illusion much longer. Seconds later, a pair of dwarves were outside Luella's cell. As she heard their sturdy footfalls approach. She didn't dare open her eyes, as she wasn't sure if her illusory self would do that too. She knew little of how exactly these illusions worked, but didn't want to risk the sight of a blinking corpse causing an alarm. Sighs, but these humans are disgusting, a second dwarf cursed. Luella nearly jumped at the shocking language, she forgot that sailors at times used much coarser language when sheer other dignitaries weren't around. May as well be bug-riddled with how fated that one is, eh? Suppose we should get rid of it. Place already smells bad enough with that fish here. Luella bit her lip. They thought she smelt bad? It wasn't as if encasing dwarven men in metal was the best recipe for potpourri she had ever heard of. As they unlocked the cell door and hoisted her up, she wondered if they could feel the scales on her body. But, as there was no noticeable reaction from either dwarf in that regard, she assumed Sir Clipsos must indeed be close by, and exerting a considerable amount of effort to create such a convincing illusion. Even for a human, this one must have been quite a hefty one, though. Might as well be carrying a baby whale the first one complained. It took all of Loyola's discipline to not conjure a spear of ice right at the contemptible little man right there and then. Soon enough, though, she was tossed overboard, the cool, welcoming embrace of the ocean gladly receiving her. After she was sure she had fallen deep enough into the water to be out of sight of anyone on board, she spun around, looking for Sir Clipsos. She found him quite quickly, as he was swimming towards her from underneath the shadow of the hull of the Penelope, "'What has happened?' Luella demanded, blurting out the first question on her mind. "'You're welcome for the rescue,' Sir Clipso sniffed. "'As far as your question goes, the ship obviously has been captured by the dwarves.' "'You know, I think I may have discovered that one out all for myself,' Luella said with a glare." but do you have any idea why? I don't know much, but from what little I have overheard, the dwarves are seeking to take your vessel back to their empire. It seems they are under the impression that you have some information about the whereabouts of the Banishing Blade, Sir Clipsos reported. The Banishing Blade? Loella echoed. They think I know. Then they must know something about Zeru. They couldn't possibly have known that I was hunting him down or that he had the banishing blade. You didn't report what happened at Cruz to anyone? Were there no others who knew this information besides you and your crew? The Cthulhu questioned. No, Uh, though I did send a report to the Arthalan government to inform them of the loss of Aeltha and Pathan. I was intending on returning the banishing blade to them once we had dealt with Zeru, Luella explained though I obviously wasn't counting on him learning how to become invincible to anything we can throw at him. The dwarves must have intercepted my message somehow. Lola shook her head. But how is it they could have found me so quickly? How could they have known where to find me? They may not have been looking for you specifically. If indeed they did learn of the disappearance of the banishing blade from your message— they may have also been looking for Zeru himself, Sir Clipsis deduced. And I'd bet four of my tentacles that theirs is far from the only dwarven vessel that has been sent out to locate the blade. If their emperor, Kulandar, has heard that weapon is now out of Artholin clutches, I am certain he'd send the bulk of his navy to locate it before the avians do. That, at least— was a reasonable explanation, Loella thought. She hadn't needed a tutor to teach her of the bad blood between the dwarves and the avians. For though the two nations were not currently at war technically, they had never known peace between each other either. Reports of violence along the border between Arthalo the avian kingdom and Jundar, the Dwarven Empire, were common and frequent enough to be a reliable option for conversation, speculation or gossip anywhere in Mundaria. "'And the crew? I saw some of them had... been killed. "'How many?' Luella asked with not a little trepidation. "'I counted six dead, from what I last saw,' Sir Clipsos added regretfully. "'It looks like the bulk of the crew is on board their ship, however, being forced to serve as oarsmen.' "'Great!' So I'll have to find a way to rescue the crew from both ships, and do it in a way that they won't kill the rest of them in the process, which means they'd have to more likely than not be rescued at the same time. Luella sighed, rubbing the heels of her hands against her forehead. I don't suppose you could trick them into throwing everyone else off the ships? The only reason we were able to extract you was that they thought I was dead, Sir Clipsus answered. "'ignoring the facetiousness of Luella's question. "'They tried to knock me out like they did you, "'but obviously they don't know their Cthulhu anatomy. "'I played along, however, and made it appear "'that I had been hurt much more grievously than they had intended. "'I was also thrown overboard once they were convinced "'that I had died before I could give them any trouble. "'They even tried to pierce my corpse with one of their spears. "'He showed Luella a spear.' "'being held in his other tentacle. "'Sir, they shouldn't be looking for me, "'at least until I am either foolish enough to reveal myself directly, "'or until they spot enough inconsistencies in the illusions that I cast "'that they reconsider what they thought they saw happen before.' Loella gave Sir Clipsos an appraising look. "'You really have done well. "'I doubt that I would have been near as resourceful as you "'had I been in your place, Sir Clipsos.' she complimented. Then, remembering briefly her nightmare at the manor, she asked, "Uh, "'Incidentally, when you appeared in my sleep, were you able to, um, see anything?' Sir Clipsus raised an eyebrow. "'That's a curious question. Why do you ask?' Luella blushed. "'I'd rather not talk too much about it. It was just a very... "'Private dream.' Sir Clipsus rolled his eyes. "'This is hardly the kind of crisis for us to care about. "'But, if you must know, no, I cannot peer into others' dreams. "'I can only project illusions to others as they sleep. "'And you'd have to be an illusionist to make me see anything of what you are dreaming of, "'for me to get any inkling of what it was you were dreaming about. "'Whatever your secrets are, Senator, they are safe, and in my opinion—' THE LEAST OF OUR CONCERNS AT THE MOMENT. Lowell nodded. Right, yes, of course. The least of our concerns. So, how do we do this? How do we save them? We are outnumbered, but we might have a potential ally. I am sure you might be able to sense them with your hydromancy any minute now. But there is another ship that is following the dwarven vessel as it tows the Penelope. Sir Clipso stretched out a tentacle past Loella's left shoulder, pointing at something behind her. And, sure enough, as she briefly reached out with her hydromancy, there was another large hull sailing the waters. An Othelin ship? Loella asked. At least that's what it seems like. It's a rather thinly built vessel, much like the one I saw in the harbor at Creus the one that that Pathan, and the rest of their retinue had docked there. So they must be aware of what's been happening as well. My message to them must have gotten through. Luella also sensed something else. It was small, much farther away, but coming towards their position. At that distance, she couldn't make out the disturbance on the surface of water as well as she might otherwise be able to. But still, she thought it better to ask. There's... Also something else behind the avians. Very small. Almost like a raft, I think. Any clue who that is? Luella asked. Sir Clipsos shook his head very matter-of-factly. No, I wasn't even aware of another craft, he puzzled. But if they are following everyone else, it is safe to assume that they are aware of us as well. Luella nodded. Very well. For now, let's just focus on the Arthelins. Can we convince them to help us? Sir Clipso shook his head. Getting to you is likely the only reason why they are here. I don't think they'd want to bother with the dwarves at all if they knew you were not on their ship. They are religious zealots. All they care about is their faith, and the Banishing Blade is the single most important relic of that faith. Loella caught on. You want to have them catch up, don't you? Is that what you're planning? That would give us an opportunity to retrieve your ship and crew. The key downside to that plan is that the avian military is not necessarily discriminating in battle. They will place retrieving the blade before any other priority, and they may well tear both ships apart before they will decide it wasn't there to begin with. And just because you reported it missing to them... That may not have earned you or your crew too many favors, Sir Clipsos grimly muttered. Lola rubbed her temples in frustration again. All right, then. We'll just have to be a little more creative with how we go about this, then. Here is what we'll do. Moments later, with the pale moonlight of the night still gleaming over the ocean waters, The dwarven Captain Cade was rubbing his eyes in disbelief. How are those filthy pigeons gaining on us? They may choose to use their godshard to blow what winds they will, but that's why we have oarsmen. Are they doing any work down there? He bellowed. They're at double pace, Captain. I don't know if we can get any more out of them, though, sir. I am sorry I can't explain it his first mate reported. Even when towing a wee little vessel like the Miley ship, we should still be outpacing the avian corsair. Then there is no use in us hemming and hawing over what should be. We should be punishing those scummy birds for daring to interfere with our mission, the captain growled. "Cook your crossbows! Ready your axes! The birds are gaining on us, but their feathers are as good as ashes when they come here. You all hear? Make these Arthelins curse their pretty little god Yale for ever hatching from his egg. A conglomeration of hearty approval sounded from the dwarven crew as they carried out their captain's orders. Then, as the avian ship came within range... Cade saw the telltale outlines of avian sky archers beginning to launch from the enemy's ship, the night's moon highlighting their wings as they began flying towards his ship. Prepare to fire, Captain Cade called out. They won't make it easy, so don't any of you hold back. Luella and Sir Clipsos waited below the waters by the Penelope waiting for the battle to start. Sure enough, Dwarven battle cries met the piercing shriek of the avian war cause as the Sky Archers descended on the Dwarven ship. They shouldn't have any of our crew above deck, Loella reminded herself. They won't be in danger yet. Are you still sure there is not a way to warn our men of what is coming? They have most of your crew working the oars on the Dwarven vessel and I can't get the dwarves overseeing them to leave them alone quite yet, so no, Ciclipsos insisted. But the avian ship will target those oarsmen as soon as they get close enough. Can't you do something to get my crew free before then? Laura replied. Just because I am an illusionist doesn't mean I can work miracles, Ciclipsos argued. Though, I might have the next best thing— Below deck on the dwarven ship captain Reichlow's arms were shaking they had been at double pace for the last 3 hours and though he could swear he could hear battle from above deck the dwarf pace drummer and his lackeys only whipped away at the humans were starting to slow down to any degree the dwarves obviously thought there was still a chance they could outrun their enemy which from the cause Reichlow was hearing were likely of the feathered variety I will whip your backsides raw, if any more of you slow in the least. Row! the pace drummer roared. But then, all at once, the steely-hard obstinacy in the face of their oppressor broke, as he seemed to catch sight of something at the far opposite end of the deck. He motioned to his guards, wildly panicking. Ah, no, 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 it can't be! He scrambled like a particularly stout ground squirrel towards the ladder that led above deck. Guards! Leave the oarsmen! Save yourselves! Malinat! The Malinat are here! And as their superior gesticulated wildly at the far end of the deck, the other dwarves panicked as well, fumbling over each other in a mad dash to get away. A cold, raw fear gripping his heart, Ryklo turned as well. But instead of an inexplicable group of Malinot, he instead saw the disembodied head of Sir Clipsos. Brace for impact. The avians will target the oars on the right side. Of course, the illusionist. No, Malinot, at least. Just a ship of murderous zealots which were about to send a storm of cannon right where Reichler was sitting. Somehow, he still felt relieved in the spite of the madness of it all anything really was better than Molinot. As he was still chained to the bench he was sitting on, he did the only thing he could do to prepare for the attack, and that was to dive under his seat and take cover. Seconds later, a thunderstorm of metal broke clean through the right side of the deck. Wood was blown everywhere, but even when the deafening attack ceased, Ryklo knew better than to raise his head too quickly. He would have to give the avians time to reload and unleash another volley. Several long seconds passed before he felt it was safe to look around and survey the damage. Fortunately, dwarven craftsmanship had a reputation for a reason. The hull, of course, had not held under the near point-blank range of the avian cannonade, but the worst injuries his men on the right side had suffered weren't life-threatening. The right side of the deck was quite open to the sea now, however, with several large breaches in its side. Being on the oar deck meant that they fortunately were not taking on water at the moment. The metal cuffs chaining him to his seat suddenly became quite cold, water shooting from the open breaches in the hull as it then worked into the grooves of the metal, freezing it and forcing it apart to free the captain with a crack. "'as the ice shattered as instantly as it had formed. "'Others of his men observed the same strange phenomenon "'as they then saw Luella come to the water's surface outside. "'Evening, everyone. Want to go back to our ship?' she cheerily asked. "'It was a simple business to take the human crew "'from the dwarven ship back to the Penelope, "'especially since Ismaele They were all adept swimmers, even if they were not merfolk. After that, they quietly retook the ship, eliminating the few dwarves who had been left behind. Luella summoned an ocean wave to carry her aboard, once Ryclo had given her the all-clear signal. I can hardly believe our luck, Ryclo remarked as he took the helm, looking over Luella, Sir Clipsos, and the other survivors of the Penelope's crew that had gathered. They didn't leave too many dwarves here at all, and the avian seems to have practically ignored the Penelapas. "'Luck had nothing to do with it,' Sir Clipso sniffed. "'The avian captain is under the impression that he saw a vision of Yale himself telling him that the blade is specifically somewhere on the dwarven vessel, not here.' Loella saw Ryclo give the Cthulhu a smile. You have been busy tonight, haven't you? Quite, the Cthulhu confirmed. And since the Havians and Dwarves are locked in mortal combat with each other, they likely won't notice our disappearance until we are well out of sight. Especially as it is dark, and maintaining an illusion of our ship here should work as long as I can keep eye contact. Then... If we all really are truly accounted for here, let's get out of here, Lola ordered, rallying the crew gathered around her. We should count ourselves lucky things went as well as they did. A sudden choking sound broke forth from behind her. She turned and immediately cursed at herself for having so quickly pronounced success on their operation. Reichlow had been seized and bitten on the neck by the occupant of that other craft that Loella had sensed earlier on the waters. How long had that creature followed them? How long had he been tracking their scent on the waves? "'I'll have him for my appetizer,' the terrifyingly recognizable Molinot from Ragnath snarled. "'But you, merfolk Loella will surrender your flesh to my maw now, unless you want any more deaths on your head. Lola could hardly believe it, but that creature with his too many arms and with his stench was no illusion. He really had followed her all the way here. Make your decision, meat. the Molinot crowed, for I... Am Zorak, and I have claimed your flesh, to be mine to consume, and my spawn will not tolerate much delay. He sickly chuckled. A skittering, scuttling noise from the back side of the ship broke forth, with more misshapen, part insect monstrosities beginning to emerge from the side of the ship. Captain Ryklo screamed through the pane. No, Senator! Everyone! Abandon ship! All hands abandon ship! Frenzied, Sarak took another bite out of Captain Ryklo's neck. Loella screamed, reaching instinctively out with her hydromancy to knock the sickly creature off him. No! No! Ryklo couldn't! This couldn't be! But Loella's attack did not shake the Molinot, and instead sent both of them careening over the back side of the ship. The other bugs had not been deterred in the least, however, and quickly crawled over the very space where Tsarak and Ryklo had been before. You heard him, Loella. We need to leave! Sir Clipso started to turn to the remaining crew. Everyone, get off the ship! Abandon ship! Abandon ship! They hardly needed any coaxing, however, Most were already taking to the smaller dinghies on either side of the vessel. But, to Loella's horror, some Malinat were already tackling down some of the men there, too, beginning to feast, to consume. Sir Clipso seized Loella and raced to dive off the ship, his tentacles waving wildly through the air. But she was still in shock, her eyes fixed on the other men on the ship, already either dead, dying, or much worse. Once they were overboard, Sir Clipsos angrily rounded on her. "Loella, there is nothing we can do. We need to leave, now! It, it's my fault. Rightlow told me I should have killed him. That Malinot, we should have put him out of his misery. But there is no time, Senator. Later. Now please do what you can to get us out of here, Sir Clipsos yelled. But we have to help them. We can do nothing, Senator. We need to leave. Any attempt you might make to save their lives now will only further endanger your mission. They may yet survive, but if that Malinat is gunning for you, the best you can do is lure him and those others away from them. We need to ensure Zeru is stopped. We need to warn your people. Remember the prophecy, Sir Clipsos demanded. Lowell sensed several splashes nearby. More, Malinat, Maybe even Sarak. Death's I take, Sir Clipsos. This was all so wrong. But, as wrong as this all was, he was right. And so... She sped them away, holding Sir Clipsos tight by his left tentacle. Bitter tears flowed from her eyes, not to be noticed by anyone else as they were quickly lost in the salty seawater around them. Almost as lost and abandoned as the men she was leaving behind. And that concludes today's episode. Tune in next time on August 3rd at 6pm Mountain Standard Time for the continuation of the story. Thank you so much for your patronage, and remember, you cannot see the hero if you do not know the monster. Stay safe out there.